0: The following audio is from the Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I'd like to talk to you today about that person in your life who really needs what Jesus has to offer, but who seems like the most unlikely person to ever consider Jesus. Uh, Maybe the person's a skeptic. Uh, Maybe it's someone who doesn't even believe that God exists. Maybe it's someone who has been deeply wounded in the past by people who claimed to be Christians. And those people wounded them emotionally or or wronged them in other ways. And so the thought of Jesus, even that, that word, brings up pain for them we 're talking today about that parent in your life who most needs jesus forgiveness and the new life that he offers we 're talking about that child who needs the healing in their heart that only jesus can give we 're talking about that coworker or that relative in your life who needs the eternal life that only Jesus can give and i 'd like to start our question by our conversation by asking you a question and that 's this. Uh, two weeks from today on April 20th, if you knew that Jesus of Nazareth physically, literally was going to be here, and they say, hey guys, we've got a guest speaker for Easter this year. Um, you know, I, 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 we've, we found this really great speaker, and uh, his name's Jesus, and he heals people. You know, uh, bring, your, bring your friends uh, who uh, have sicknesses that can't be cured. Bring them bring him to Jesus. Bring anyone who is far from God or who has been hurt by religious people. Bring them because Jesus, the same Jesus who, who walked around in the New Testament and healed people and, and made an uproar wherever he went and crowds would flock to him, he's going to be here on stage and, and, and he's going to be teaching and he's going to hang around for as long as he needs afterwards to just talk to people. Who would you bring? Who would you bring? Is there someone maybe on the other side of the country that you'd say, hey, you've got to come. Jesus is actually going to be here. Who would you bring if he himself were here? And that's our question for you today. Who would you bring to Jesus for spiritual healing if you really believed that if you could just get them here, Jesus would be here? And, and, and in faith, you could bring them believing that you know Jesus, who had this way of uh, you know these Pharisees and these people who had these hard hearts. When they'd get near him, some, somehow they still have to make their choice to believe. But somehow, in his presence, he just had a way of of melting these really hard hearts and of of drawing people to him. And it, what if you knew he was going to be here? Who would you invite? And only on our outline, there's blanks for you to fill in, and there's a blank here today. And that blank is for you to write the name of the person who you would bring. I, I, I hope the Holy Spirit is bringing some name to mind. And if He's not, you can ask Him. Say, so God, God, help me to get outside of myself a little bit. Jesus said that there's two great commands. The first is to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And the second is to love our neighbor as ourself. If I can't think of anyone in my life who could use the healing touch of Jesus, I, I might need to ask God to help me with that. You know, God, give me a heart that cares about the people around me. Give me a heart that's not cynical and and close-minded about those relatives or those neighbors who they've rejected you so many times that, if I'm honest with myself, I've just given up on them. You, You can pray as we study this text today, God, would you soften my heart? Because if Jesus said the greatest command is first to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, well, what happens when we love God? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. What are Jesus' commands? Well, to go and make disciples. To be his physical presence on earth to go and tell people about Jesus. So, so if there's no one that we think, oh, yeah, that's who I'd bring to Jesus. And if, if, if there, if our heart is just turned in a way that's so inward that we don't even care to bring someone to Jesus, then we need to kind of repent before God and say, God, will you give me a heart that loves others the way you do? Because the greatest command is to love you. And you're a God who we love because you first loved us. Lord, will you give me your heart for others? You're the God who says that you desire for all people to come to salvation. And secondly, to love our neighbor as ourself. If you were living in the slavery of sin, in the chains of sin, if you needed healing from emotional scars in your past, and you knew Jesus was going to be here, you'd come and get that healing for yourself. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, who would you bring? Here's another way to ask the same question. Who in your orbit of motion is hurting or spiritually separated from God? What do I mean by your orbit of motion? I mean your kind of rhythm in life. You you wake up, maybe you have a neighbor that you see every morning when you walk out to your car. Uh, Maybe um, you have a, a mailman that you see once a week. Once you get to your car, you you go out, and and then you you drive probably to work. Or maybe you drive to the YMCA. And and then you might go to Safeway or to Walmart or to Hastings to rent a movie. You've got this kind of orbit in your life. And then you make your way back home. and, And in that orbit, you have a sphere of people who you touch that I don't touch, that no one else in this room touches. And Jesus put you in their life for a reason. So of all those people in your daily life, in your weekly routine, which ones of them are hurting? Which ones of them are separated from God and need that healing that only Jesus can give? In, in our message today, as we look at this text, we're, we're doing so having in our hands and in our hearts the names of a few of these people. Maybe for you it's just one person. For Pastor Dan, he's probably got fifteen people, you know. One is fine, okay? But but who are the people? And, and if you're still drawing a blank, just ask the Holy Spirit, God, show me, who, who do you want me to bring to you? And with that in mind, let's read our text from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we're told this. A few days later. And Jesus has been doing miracles. Word about what he does has been spreading all around the ancient Near East. A few days after some miracles that Jesus has just done, Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. Now, Capernaum, you'll recall, is the region that Jesus had lived in for a majority of his life. Capernaum itself is a city that is on the coast. It's a coastal city, and it's a a pretty large coastal city. In fact, there's a whole Roman guard that was stationed here. There was a lot of Greek influence because of all the trading that was coming in by ship, and the Greeks really kind of ruled the trading industry at the time. It was a commercial city. So here you've got a city that is... uh, is a whole bunch of Jewish population, but you've got these very metropolitan, cosmopolitan, Greek and Roman influences. It's a pretty dense city. Jesus was known there, and and he went out and was doing miracles, and now he's even more known, and he comes back, and here's what happens. Verse 2, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. So do you get the picture? All these people are gathered around Jesus. Jesus somehow gets into a house somewhere. You know, if you read the Gospels, Jesus had a way of doing this. He would invite himself over for dinner. He'd look at someone and he'd say, hey, I'm going to your house today for dinner. And Jesus had this way of just talking to strangers and kind of growing on them. Why? Well, because as he's talking to them, they're connecting with what their soul has always yearned for, which is God himself. And they're finding compassion and love and grace and patience and forgiveness and truth and power and healing like they've never seen before. And you know, everywhere Jesus went, he never had a home of his own because other people were always putting him up and other people were always feeding him because he was feeding them with what their souls needed. So we don't know whose house this is, but Jesus gets in there, and there's no room left, standing room only. Of course, there's no glass in the windows, so people start gathering around the house, and the the front door's wide open, and, and Jesus is speaking loud enough as he dialogues with people and as he teaches that people can hear from outside the house, and there starts to be this crowd that gathers around the house. Follow along with me in your Bible. In verse 3, we're told some men came to this gathering, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Now, we always assume it's four men, just like we assume it's three wise men. But all we know is four of the men were carrying him. This may have been a little bit bigger of an entourage. We don't know for sure. But these people believe so much that Jesus can heal their paralyzed friend that four of them are literally carrying the stretcher Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. You know, they're kind of, uh, if if you've ever been in a really big crowd, you kind of start to work your way in at the outside where it's loose, and as you get closer to the middle, it just gets so tight. When you've got a stretcher with a paralyzed person on it, and at least four of you holding it, you can't get too far into the crowd. So these guys get a little resourceful, we're going to see. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. Now, it was common in these days for roofs to be fairly flat, and it was common to have stairs that led up to them, because then you, you kind of had like a balcony, you know, you could kind of look out. And so, so somehow these guys get to the stairs, they get up there, somehow they must kind of measure, right? You know, here's the whole roof, I think Jesus, I think he's right here you know, and and they get a rock or a stick or something. And the houses at this time were built out of stone. The walls were built out of stone. And then to make a roof, the people would mix up mud and in the mud, they would put straw, little pieces of wood, uh, whatever lighter things they could. They'd mix into the mud, kind of like a stucco kind of thing. And they would, they'd Put that across these beams on the roof, just pieces of wood, really, and they'd make this this seal. And then the sun, of course, would beat down and would dry the mud so that you've got a a sealed roof above you. So one of these guys gets a rock or a stick or something and just starts, they're digging through the roof, they're digging to Jesus. Can you imagine if you were one of the lucky people who had a front row seat by Jesus and all of a sudden you hear the scratching on the roof and you're thinking, what is that? Over at our Rosser campus, there's a big tree that uh, is over the sanctuary part, which is our worship pastor, Jamie. It's kind of his office. And in addition to the tree, um, the roof is these wood panels that are grooved together. So sometimes uh, on a really windy day, you might hear a little bit of the tree brushing up against it. But if it's really windy, the wood panels will kind of make this noise. It's really super creepy. I was in there the other day with Jamie. We were working on some Easter stuff, and it did that. It goes, and I go, he said, do you think that's scary too? I was like, yeah, that's so creepy. Are we in a sci-fi movie? What's going on? The roof is making noises. So these people are, are listening to Jesus, and all of a sudden, the roof starts making these scraping noises. And then can you imagine, all of a sudden, this beam of light, this one little, you know, Smaller than an inch opening that they get, this beam of light shoots down, and some crumbs of mud start falling, and pretty soon an arm reaches through, pulls up the roof, and the homeowner's calling, you know, nationwide or state farm. Never saw this one coming, and then the arm pulls up the roof, and then a head sticks down in most likely, right? Yeah, guys, we got it. This is Jesus. We got the right spot. And then think about it, right? You can't get a paralyzed guy through an opening this big, right? So they keep now they're just pulling they're pulling the stuff up. And and chunks of mud are falling and who knows, maybe some of the people down below get in on it and they start pulling it down. And eventually the opening is big enough. End of verse four. After digging through it, they lowered the mat. So they lowered this this thing. I mean who knows? Maybe it was a sheet. I was listening to NPR about the volcanoes down in South America and how preschools on the coast, they, they have these big sheets and they train the, the preschool and elementary teachers. They just throw all the kids on the sheet and each teacher grabs a corner and they just run for the hills when they think a tsunami might be coming. Who knows? Maybe this mat is like kind of flexible. I don't know, but this has got to be a pretty big hole. right? And they lower this thing down in. Jesus, of course, has observed the falling mud and beams of light coming through and heads poking down. And now comes this body of this paralyzed man in this mat. Verse 5: When Jesus saw their faith, not when Jesus saw the mat, not when Jesus saw the condition of the man's body, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Now, notice here, this paralyzed individual, his friends, they may have brought this person to Jesus in faith thinking that his greatest need was to walk. But Jesus looks at him and instantly sees what his greatest need actually is. And it's the same greatest need that all of us have, and that is the forgiveness of our sins. Scripture says all have sinned, we've all sinned, and our sins separate us from God, who is the source of life and health and peace and joy and eternal life in heaven after our bodies die. But Scripture says the bad news is sin has separated us all from God. Good news is Jesus came to heal this paralytic and forgive him of his sins, and he came to heal you and forgive you of your sins If you'll trust in him, if you'll believe that he's God, if you'll accept, God, I can't work my way to you. I have to accept your free gift of salvation. Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. In a moment, we'll dig deeper into this text, but I'm just going to finish it off uh, the story for you so you know what we're talking about. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, verse 6, thinking to themselves, why did this, this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Which is true. Only God can forgive sins. What they're missing on the connect the dots is that Jesus is God. Verse 7. Why does... Oh, we read verse 7. Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Remember, your heart, we've learned here, is your inner person. And he said to them... Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man, this is how Jesus referred to himself, he was fully God. But when he came to earth, he humbled himself and also became fully man. Philippians 2 took upon him the form of a man, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who could have walked around referring to himself as son of God, and sometimes did and accepted that because that was reality, most often referred to himself as son of man, someone who can relate to you, someone who knows what it's like to get a sliver. Someone who knows what it's like to be made fun of. Someone who knows what it's like to be tired and to weep and to laugh. Jesus, almighty God, became son of man so he could relate to you, so that he could bear your penalty on the cross. And Jesus here in verse 10 says to these doubters, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to demonstrate for you. You can't see my supernatural power that I just forgave his sins, which is actually the most important thing for him in the universe. But since you can't see that because your eyes are blinded, let me give you something that you can see. Verse 11, he turns to the paralytic man. I tell you, most likely he looks down, right? They probably lowered him all the way down to the ground. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of everyone. Okay. Now, from the inside out of this house, this, this guy walks through the crowd, and everyone sees these skinny, atrophied legs walking. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. When's the last time you were amazed by God? In Luke, Luke's account of this in chapter 5, verse 26 of Luke, it says, they were filled with awe and said, we've never seen anything like this. When's the last time that God did something and you thought, I've just never seen anything like that. I've never seen a life so transformed. I've never seen such a miracle. I think for many of us, it's been a long time since we've seen something like that because it's been a long time since we've had the kind of faith of these friends who walked and climbed and dug and lowered their friend to Jesus. We haven't seen miracles like this in a while because we haven't believed like this in a while. So with that person in mind who you wrote down at the beginning of our time, and maybe God's bringing that person to your mind now. Let's go through these uh, this text and let's pull out just four principles for you in your life today. Here's principle number one. Comes from verses one and two. There are times when unlikely people are more likely to visit Jesus. You see, this crowd that came around Jesus, these were not all genuine seekers of God. A lot of these people were just curious. Jesus was literally the talk of the town. Everyone says, did you hear about Jesus of Nazareth? Did you hear about these crazy miracles he's doing? Oh yeah, I met Jesus of Nazareth once, back when we we went to synagogue together. You know, I I remember him when he was a boy. That Jesus of Nazareth? Yeah, that Jesus of Nazareth. He's back, And, and this crowd gathers. And some of the people are just coming out of curiosity, some of you are just coming because it's the thing to do. I remember in high school, I had some friends, and we had this little game, this prank game we'd play every once in a while. If we were at like an amusement park or a mall or something, and we were bored, we'd get a few of us in a little semicircle, and we'd start going like this, up at a tree or a light pole. And of course, there's nothing up there, okay? but we'd all gather around and just be like, wow, look at that. And if you do it long enough and you hold your composure, people start gathering around. <laughs> they do. It's quite funny. And, and, they, and, they, and, and some of them get it kind of quickly. And they're like, oh, stupid kids, pranksters. Others stand there for quite a while. And, and it's really fun because there's something about human nature that's just like, oh, if everyone else is looking, I want to see, you know, what's this courthouse lighting about? When you first move here, you're like, man, I got to see what that's all about. And then if you're like me after a while it's like that's eh, just too cold, you know. I'm glad everyone's there, but some years it's just too cold, but everyone's there and everyone's looking and there's this fuss and and there's times like that when unlikely people are more likely to come visit Jesus because it's just everyone's doing it. And you may not realize it, but Easter is one of those times in American culture. So many tens of millions of Americans will be at church on Easter Sunday. That even people who don't believe in God, even people who don't know much about Jesus, even people who are very skeptical, you'd be surprised if you had a little confidence and just said, hey, half the town's going to be at church on Easter Sunday. Do you want to come with me? Some of them who are unlikely to ever visit Jesus are more likely at a time like Easter to say, oh yeah, I'll check it out. Because what you don't realize is these are thinking people. And they they do see the, the difference in your life. They do see the difference in the lives of Christians around them. And while they might put up a front that they're so skeptical and they're so smart and they don't need that crutch that you have, yada, 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 the more they put up that front, the more the reality is that behind it, they got questions. they got curiosities. And they're kind of secretly waiting for someone to say, hey, hey, come with me. I know you, you don't have to buy it all. Just come see what it's about. I'm going to visit, I'm going to visit uh, Easter, and, and, and I want you to come see what Jesus is all about. If you want to come, let me know. There's times when unlikely people are more likely to visit Jesus. So question, who in your life, likely or unlikely to visit Jesus, needs that healing and forgiveness and peace? Who in your life is like this man on this mat who's lowered down to Jesus? well let 's continue in our text at the end of Mark two: two. It tells us they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, and he preached the word to them. now let 's look at verse three. Some of these men came, bringing to him to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So we visualize this, that, that they 're they're pushing their way through the crowd. And really, if you think about it, one of them could not have brought this paralyzed man you know who wasn 't able to to carry or hold himself, walk himself one of them couldn 't have brought him by themselves They, they needed this team right and I wonder how the story goes if we could back it up, and we don 't know for sure because it 's not recorded for us in god 's word. We don't know if maybe it was the parent of one of the parents of this paralyzed man says, hey, if Jesus is in town, let's get him over there. Maybe it's a brother, a sibling, a friend. Maybe it's his sister who says, hey, 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 guys, Jesus is in town. I'm rounding up some guys to help. Will you help me get my brother to Jesus? We don't know who it was, but whoever the instigator was, whoever the point person was, they somehow built us this whole little team, Right? And together, we're all carrying him to Jesus. Here's principle number two. Sometimes you need the help of friends to carry someone in need to Jesus. Some of you are discouraged. You have a person in your life you've been praying for them for years or you've been meaning to pray for them for years, you've been thinking of them, you know they need Jesus, and you've tried a few different things, and nothing has worked, and you've kind of given up. And one of the reasons that you're discouraged is that you've been trying to do it alone. You've been trying to carry that paralyzed person by yourself for miles through the crowd to Jesus. And we see here, if it weren't for a group of friends who worked together This guy never would have physically gotten to Jesus. Some people, that's the only way you can get them to Jesus. It's with a little bit of teamwork. This paralyzed person likely wanted Jesus, but could not get there without the help of a team. It's something for you to be confident about as you pray, God, who do you want me to invite to meet you on Easter Sunday or any other Sunday? Is to have a confidence, whether they know it or not, they do want Jesus. They might not know it, but that's what their soul actually longs for. So here's a question. What other believers, friends, or family might you enlist to help you bring that person in need to Jesus. I don't think God would be offended if you have cute kids and and their grandpa or grandma isn't a believer. I don't think God would be offended if you said, hey, come to our house for Easter so you can see the grandkids and we can all go to church together and we we can have a big Easter dinner. It'll be so much fun. I don't think God would be offended if your kids were part of the team. I don't think he'd be offended if your spouse was part of the team. So often as Americans, we go about things alone. It's just in our culture. It's the way we're raised. We're independent. We're strong. And we don't see this in the Gospels. Jesus had an entourage. Everywhere he went, he had friends with him. And when he sent out the disciples, how did he send them out? Two by two. And when Paul later does ministry in the New Testament after Jesus goes to heaven to prepare a place for us, Paul goes around and he's always got Titus or Timothy or Barnabas or John Mark. He's always got somebody with him. They're doing ministry together as a team. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes that if you're traveling alone by yourself and you fall down, there's nobody to pick you up. But if you're traveling with two people and you fall, then there's someone to pick you up. And then when that person falls, there's someone to pick them up. And the same is true spiritually. Many of us are discouraged in our spiritual lives because we're going it alone. We don't have brothers and sisters around us. Do you realize that one of your greatest assets on this planet, Earth, first is God's Word, second is His Spirit inside you, and third is the brothers and sisters around you? But very many of us were beaten down spiritually, it's because we're not walking with brothers and sisters, we're trying to go it alone. Long journeys become short trips when you've got the right companion. Impossibly boring work becomes fun. When you have the right company. I remember a summer when I worked at a camp. Now there were summers when I worked at a camp as a counselor. And you play with the kids. And you do games. And it's fun. But there was a summer when I worked at a camp as the dishwasher. In the kitchen. And so the way this would work is three times a day. About two to three hundred people eat. And they all bring their dishes and shove them through this little window which I am on the other side of, wearing this thick rubber shield and holding a spray hose." And, and, and you, you throw the stuff into the trash, and you put the plate on this big plastic rack, and you load it up, and then you just spray those suckers down with all this power. And there's, you know, you got scrambled eggs and syrup and stuff flying all over you. And then once you get it all sprayed off, you open up the big sanitizer thing, which works really fast, and you, you push it in there, put it down, and it starts going. And of course, it's like... 300 degrees or something crazy in there, okay? So it's hot, and meanwhile, you're spraying the next you know, scrambled eggs or ground beef or whatever else, getting it all off. It's flying everywhere. And then the thing beeps, it's done. You pull it up, and the steam comes out. Pssh, so hot. And you move it to the side, and you push the next one in. And it is impossibly boring work when you're alone. But if you've got some good friends, you put on some good music start spraying each other every once in a while and kidding around, all of a sudden this impossibly boring work becomes pretty fun because you've got the right company. I think so many of us, you know, Scripture does say from the moment we trust Christ until we get to heaven, it's a journey through foreign land. We are pilgrims. We are aliens. We are strangers. This world's not our home. There's like scrambled egg bits and stuff that's nasty about this life on this earth, Whether you believe in God or not, you're probably going to face cancer in you or your family. You're going to face death someday. Even after you believe in God, those things are still in your life, but you know you've got a great hope to look forward to a new life. And on the journey, you've got some really great company. Two weeks ago when we had our dessert, uh, there was a a brother from your body who's relatively new here. I think his name was Jeff. And Jeff said... um, You know, he had recently gotten into a home group, and in that home group, he's found some really serious spiritual companionship. And he said, I realize now that I was robbing myself by not being in a community group. I was depriving myself. Because I was trying to go about following Jesus all by myself, and now that I'm in a group, it's so much fun. And I'm so supported. And I was depriving myself by not being... In a group like that, if you're not in a community group, you can get in one today. If you're in a community group, you've got this person whose name you wrote down, you can go to your community group on Monday night or Tuesday night. Any of the night of the week, we have them now, okay? And you can say to the group, hey, here's who I'm praying for. Will you guys pray with me? And there might be someone else, maybe you're a single person, and someone says, you know, we're having a big Easter dinner. Why don't you come to our Easter dinner and invite that person and say, hey, I've got this really fun group of friends. After We're going to go to church on Easter. It's really light. It's going to be really fun. And then we're going to all have lunch together, like a big Easter dinner. Do you want to come with me to the whole thing? You can work together in your community group. You can work together just with other brothers or sisters who know the Lord. Maybe if it's a relative who you're praying for, maybe you've got some other relatives who are believers, and you can get them in on it to help you carry this person to Jesus. Verse 3 tells us, Some men came bringing him to Jesus, carried by the four of them. And here's verse 4. Let's look at verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, somebody measured that, by digging through it, then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, we've already painted this picture for you. This is not an easy thing to dig through rock-hard mud to carry dead weight of a person up onto the roof and probably carry him miles to the building So here's principle number three. When a person really needs Jesus, I will have to exert some personal effort to get them to Jesus. Now, it's God who draws people to salvation. It's God who works in people's heart, okay? I'm not saying that you can save someone. That's a choice that they make between them and God. But this is God's word. And here's a principle for us. Give them the opportunity to make that choice. And they're probably not going to get that opportunity unless you exert some personal effort. These friends walked. They carried. They dug to get their friend to Jesus. We're going to put a list on the screen up here. What things can you do to help get your friend to Jesus? If you're going to be in town for Easter, could you invite that person to join your family for an Easter meal? If you're single, find a a family of friends within the church. Make a meal afterwards and invite that person to come with you. Simply, maybe the, the effort is just to talk to a neighbor or friend and say, Hey, do you have any plans for Easter? Maybe it's to hand deliver an invitation to that person who's most unlikely And you know you're not going to get a commitment out of them, but you're just going to give them that invite. And they're going to put it in their car, and you're going to just pray for them. Maybe it's you commit to an activity with them. Hey, you're always wanting to go golfing. I will go golfing with you if you'll come with me on Easter Sunday. God works through things like that. Maybe you've got plans to go out of town, but God's now telling you, oh, there's so-and-so. Maybe your exertion, personally, is to sacrifice those plans. You know what more important than seeing my family who are all believers in Jesus and I'm going to spend eternity with heaven in heaven with them maybe more important is getting this person to Jesus. And of course like we mentioned before leave a great meal tip when you're out today or other times and when you leave that tip leave an Easter invite. Our effort reveals our belief. You see, it wasn't a stretcher that carried this paralytic man to Jesus for his healing. It wasn't the fabric of a stretcher that carried him there. It was the faith of these men that carried him there. It was the faith of these men that carried the person in need to Jesus. Let's look at verse 5 of Mark chapter 2. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, if in God's inspired word, if it said, when Jesus saw his faith, think, like, well, okay, it's the, guy on the, it's the paralyzed guy. But God chose to let us know that Jesus saw their faith, the group of them, the people who brought him. And he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So don't miss this, okay? This is the climax of the text today, principle number four. Your belief, your belief that Jesus will actually work if you can get that person here, your belief plays a key role in whether or not that person comes to Jesus. Now some theologians are going to say, well, wait a second, you know, it's their decision with God. Well, that's true. But your decision is whether or not to bring them to the place where they can make that decision. This is why we send missionaries to Cambodia and to Africa and Papua New Guinea. Because yes, those people have to decide for themselves, am I going to trust Jesus? But they're never going to hear about Jesus unless we go. That's why we send missionaries. And the people who you love, do you really believe that if you can get them to Jesus... Maybe it's Easter Sunday, maybe it's some other Sunday, maybe it's some other thing altogether, but do you really believe that if you can get them to Jesus, that He has the power to change their heart? And that's a tough question for some of us to answer because some of us know some pretty hardened hearts. Do you believe that God is bigger than that person, stronger than that person, capable to soften that person's heart? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Scripture clearly teaches my faith cannot forgive your sins. You have to have your faith, but my faith can get you right up to Jesus so that you can make that choice. I'm going to give you three examples of this because I just know that there's some doubters in here. I know that some of you are thinking, yeah, you know, it's not about me. It's just about that person and Jesus, okay? Let me give you three examples of this from Scripture, okay? This is not my opinion, all right? Now, Scripture is really clear. Only that person can choose to trust in Jesus. But let me give you three examples of someone else's faith bringing someone to Jesus. Here's the first one. The centurion's faith brought Jesus' healing to his servant. Really, this is the second one. We just looked at the first one in Mark 2. Matthew 8, verse 13, this centurion comes to Jesus. He's got a servant who's sick. And Jesus says to him, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. If this person coming to Jesus depended on your faith, would they ever come to Jesus? Do you believe they could come to Jesus? Do you believe he could bring them to himself? If it was done to them as you believe, what would be done to them? Jesus says, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. God, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. I know you can heal my servant. Okay, let it be done to you. And his servant's healed. Here's another example. John 4. A government official's faith brought Jesus healing to his son. John 4, verses 50 and 51. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Let me give you one more. Matthew chapter 15, a Canaanite woman comes to Jesus asking him to heal her daughter. Verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. In many of these scenarios, Jesus then turns to the religious Jewish people around him and says, this pagan who you look down on has greater faith than I've seen in all of Israel. In each of these stories, Jesus credits the faith of a friend or a father or a boss or a mother for the healing of someone Else, I wonder, have you ever had that kind of faith for the person in your life who needs Jesus? God, I know only she can make the decision to trust in you, but I have faith that you can move her to that point. And because of that faith, I'm going to act, and I'm going to invite her, and I'm going to bring her. I know I can't change her heart. I know my faith can't change her heart, but I have faith that if I get her to you, you can change her heart. Well, do you have your name? Do you have your person? And now the question is, if you have that person, will you choose this kind of faith? One of these stories, the one with the dad whose son is sick, is the one where the guy says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief if you're here today and you say, God, I want to believe that you can save my boss. I want to believe you can change my mom's heart, but but help my unbelief. Because it seems impossible. You can pray that today and say, God, help my unbelief. Here's our final question for you today. Who will you bring believing that Jesus will forgive them, will heal them, will change them? Two weeks from today on Easter Sunday. If you're out of town on Easter, you can write down that name, be praying for that person and looking for another opportunity. Who will you bring and will you bring them with that kind of faith? Luke 5 tells us everyone was amazed and they praised God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I believe that two weeks from today, when we hear these three stories about how God changes a life, I believe we're going to see remarkable things. I believe we're going to see lives changed. Not because of us, but because Jesus is going to be here. He calls us His body. His body, and He's our head, and He's here. So, do you want to see remarkable things? Do you have faith? It's after stories like this that Jesus looks at his disciples and said, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, if you'd have the faith of this Canaanite woman, or this centurion, this Roman official, if you'd have that kind of faith, who knows what you could do? So, so as we have our closing song today, and I know we're Americans, and you guys don't like to walk to the front. That's fine. I don't like to walk to the front, okay? I was raised Baptist. If I was out there, I'd probably be sitting in the back row. I don't judge any of y'all, okay? But here's the deal. We've got three of these crosses. There's one here, and there's, there's two more down there. As we sing our closing song today, will you carry on the feet of faith that person to the cross? We've got slips of paper up here. We've got pens. We've got thumbtacks, If you think, well, I don't want to embarrass that person, you can just put their initials on the piece of paper. And and you come to the front and you say, Jesus, this is my first step of faith. Okay, this is a pretty easy one. You know why? Because we're all for you here. We're all cheering you on if you come forward to do this, okay? You're among friends. You're among family here. We all have someone to bring to the cross, So so as we sing these closing songs, will you you bring that person to the cross? Will you put their name here? And when we have our Good Friday service, we're going to take all those names and we're going to have them on a big cross up here on the stage. You know why? Because Jesus died for that person in your life. Jesus loves that person in your life. He wants them to come to salvation. And he placed you in your life to bring them to the cross. So today we're going to give you a really tangible, easy first step to step out and say, God, on the feet of faith, I'm going to carry this loved one to you. Would you stand and pray together with me? And then as we have our closing song, we'll have access to all three of these crosses. Father, we thank you that you are alive today. We thank you that you are real today. Lord, would you break through our unbelief? Would you break through our cold, apathetic, inward hearts that we would actually love the hurting people in our lives? Lord, either we don't believe that you can heal them or we don't love them. Whichever one it is, we pray that you would change our hearts, that we'd be a people who bring people to Jesus. Why? Because we believe that you can change them. We believe that you can free them. We believe that you can save them. So Lord, as we close in worshiping you and celebrating that you are mighty to save, we're going to bring these names forward and we bring them forward in prayer, asking that you would rescue and change, that you would heal. Lord, show us the steps you want us to climb, the roofs you want us to dig through, the sacrifices you want us to make. Show us the teams where we need teams and give us that faith that it would be done as we believe, that these lives would be changed, these souls would be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www prescottcornerstone.com